Thanks, Davey. Well, hey there. Hey. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you haven't called your mother, uh, you should leave right now and do that, okay? Don't listen to anything I say. Just kidding. Don't do that. Wait till after the service to call your mom, but you really should. You should call your mom on Mother's Day. It's a nice thing to do. She only brought you into this world, okay? Um, please grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, you're also going to want to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, okay? If you're using one of the Bibles underneath the seats, uh, you will find that on the screen, the page numbers uh, for those two, those two places. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. I love going to concerts, uh, to shows is what you might call them. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Andy Crow and I, we, uh, we went to see Gregory Allen Iskoff. It was a great night, wasn't it? Andy, it was awesome. Yeah, some of you other guys, uh, I saw some of you, of you there as well. It was an incredible night. We, we stood along the wall near to the stage. Uh, it, was, it was an incredible evening and uh, just awesome music, if you've never heard. Um, but at one point in the, the concert in the evening, I did something that I kind of like to do if I could sneak it in, if it doesn't look too creepy. Uh, I like to turn, because of my angle, I could do this, and I like to look at the crowd while the music's playing. Uh, this is just fascinating to me. I don't know why. It just is. And, and I looked, and, and no one was looking around. Everybody was looking at the stage, naturally, right, except for me, Mr. Creeper, Okay. And, and they're looking at the stage, and then there's this song that's going, and, and there has a certain beat, it has a certain rhythm to it, and what do you know? Every single person in that room, just subconsciously, is moving to that beat, is moving to that rhythm. There wasn't one person there who was just doing some strange sort of rhythm. Everybody, just subconsciously, whether they wanted to or not, they are moving to that rhythm. They were moving to that beat, right? That's, that's just so natural. Why? Because that beat and that rhythm is what is filling that room. I mean, have you ever tried to move to a different beat when there is a song just blaring in a room? It, it seems like impossible to do, right? Because that, that beat is just so overwhelming. That rhythm is so overwhelming. You can't help it. You have to move to that beat, you have to move to that rhythm. And to move to another beat and to move to a different rhythm is a very difficult, I dare I say, even impossible thing almost to do. I say this because there is a song, there is a rhythm, there is a beat that just surrounds us in our day and age. And nearly all of us are bobbing and swaying to that beat. And that beat is a 24-7 mentality and lifestyle. 24-7, 24-7, 7 We say it all the time. We move to that beat. Yet when God lays out for us a rhythm of life in the creation account, he doesn't create a song. He doesn't create a rhythm. He doesn't create a beat of 24-7. God creates a beat of 24-6, of 24-6. And so when it comes to our lives and how we spend our time, I won't ask for a show of hands tonight, so don't, don't panic, but I, I want to ask you the question, when was the last time you asked God what his design and purpose is for how you use your time? 
When was the last time you, you actually went to God and you said, God, how do you want me to order my life? How do you want me to use my time? I wonder what it would look like actually for us tonight to prayerfully consider what the creator and what the author of time has designed for us to live into. So we are, we are finishing out a four-week series on what the Bible teaches as God's vision and his view and his design for how we spend our time. We've talked about work, because most of us spend a ton of our time working. Not even just in a paying job, but, but, but cleaning up after your different things in your house and in doing all these chores, paying bills, going to the store, whatever, right? We work all the time. And so we saw in the beginning of our Bibles that God put work into paradise. He didn't give it to us as a punishment. I thought that it was a good thing. It's a way that we honor and worship God. Work is, work is good. But then we also saw last week that when we actually get into the nitty-gritty of our work, it's very frustrating, it's dissatisfying. There's a, a groaning to our work. That's because God has placed eternity into our hearts and we long for what we do to last beyond our lives and yet we know there's this end that's coming. And then a couple weeks ago, if you were here, we dove into Hebrews chapter four and we looked at how God has designed for us to experience rest. But, but not just in some really literal way, in a very deep and profound way for a rest, if you will, for our souls. That, that he wants to provide rest beneath your restlessness, all that busyness and craziness. And, and so tonight, as we sort of come to the end of this, I'd like for us to consider a bit more practically what it looks like to rest in our lives. What does that look like to rest in our lives? And so the way I want us to do this is to look at the Ten Commandments, and, and I want us to specifically look at this command to take a Sabbath, to take a day and to rest. And so what we will see and we dive in, this will be on the screen if you want to know where we're headed, is, is the command to Sabbath, how Jesus changed the Sabbath, that's just the word I'm going to use, and then what Sabbath could look like for us today. Okay, so we're going to read in parallel here Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus chapter 20, and, and just for fun, to keep the blood moving, sorry, you might be mad at me, but I'm going to have you stand with me as I read these verses. Exodus chapter 20, as we look at this command to Sabbath, and Exodus 20 verse 8, I'm going to flip right over to Deuteronomy 5. It says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now over to Deuteronomy 5 says in verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God 
brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Uh, You can sit down. Thank you so much. Well, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Let's just be really clear here. What is this? The Sabbath and what this, these, these commands are talking about, the Sabbath was a 24-hour period of time from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday where everyone would stop in doing their work. See, Jewish people didn't have names for the days of the week. They didn't. And so the word Sabbath literally means to stop. That's what it means. It just means to stop, to cease from work. But, but not just husbands and wives, which is inferred by these commands because those are the only people that aren't mentioned here, but that the whole of society was commanded to rest. So livestock even, like the land, uh, foreigners and sojourners, non-believers, illegal aliens, minimum wage workers, you name it, society was called to rest. But, but the crazy thing is, is, is they had all of these laws that all these things that they couldn't do on a Sabbath day that they had to uphold in order to keep the Sabbath. So they couldn't do things like build a fire or gather food. There were also laws against sowing and reaping and weaving and building and baking, right? Lots of laws that, that you would hate to have to uphold, right? And then over the years, things would be added to this law, that the things that you could do and that you couldn't do in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. So all these Jewish leaders would keep adding and modifying things to this law. And this might sound just like horrible and crushing to you, but it must be, I want to I be very clear, this was not a gloomy time to people. This wasn't a time to fast. This wasn't a time or a day to just sit in a library and have private devotions for 24 hours. This wasn't a day to fast. It was actually a day for them to feast. These people, they would delight in the good gifts of God. They would feast with their families. They would enjoy God. They would enjoy his creation, and they would remember what God had done for them. That's what they would do on this day. Well, if you're anything like me, you might ask, well, why would God command this? Why would he command this? And and definitely, why would he make it one of the 10, right? Like the top 10. Like, why would he do that? Well, I read the two different places where this command is read uh, because it, it gives us two different reasons for why God is telling them to Sabbath. He gives in Exodus 20 a creation reason, and he gives in Deuteronomy 5 a redemption reason, In verse 11 of chapter 20 of Exodus, he gives this creation reason, and he says that we are to rest. Why? Because God rested. Because God rested when he made the world. Remember, we we talked about this. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weary or sleepy, okay? But in creation, God works for six days, and then God rests. And what does that mean? Well, we, we've learned that that means that what God is doing when he's resting is not because he's exa- excuse me, exhausted. He's looking out with satisfaction over what he's done. He's delighting in the things that he has actually made. He's admiring it. He rests because he's satisfied. He doesn't rest because he's tired. And so this rest and this enjoyment of creation, think about it. This was the first thing that humanity experienced when they walked the face of the earth. 
Because God created for six days, and on the sixth day, he created humanity, and on the seventh day, he rested. That means that the first day that humans lived on this earth was a day of rest. They, they rested, but they hadn't even worked yet. So they entered into this rest, this, this day of enjoying all that God had made. So, so this means in that this Sabbath command can't just be a day off. That's not what this is talking about. This command is, is different. This command to Sabbath isn't just so that you can keep going in life and not burn out. It's so that you can delight in God and the things that God has made. So you see, most of us probably view the Sabbath like that um, old 80s song. Everybody's working for the weekend. You guys know that song? Sorry, I hate 80s music. It kind of makes me gag even saying this title, okay? But at the same time, this song is so fitting even to how most of us view the weekend, right? Like a day of rest, we're like, I'm just working to get to that weekend, right? So the idea almost of Sabbath, if we could talk about it that way, is just this concept of trying to crawl to the finish line, so to speak. We're just living for the weekend. But the Sabbath wasn't a rescue mission for survival. It was a strategic day of delighting in the goodness of God and in his gifts that he's given us. It's a day that we live the rest of our week out of, not a day we go stumbling into. So, so based on the creation reason given in Exodus, we see that this day is a day to be satisfied, to delight in, to enjoy family and friends and creation and good things. But then in Deuteronomy, verse 15, we see this redemption reason for why these people would Sabbath. He says, you shall remember. This is, this is why they should Sabbath. So these people, these, these, these Jewish people, they were to rest. Why? Deuteronomy says they were to rest because God delivered them from a life where they could never rest. They, they were slaves in Egypt. They were being driven into the ground. They had no authority or autonomy to actually not work. They had to work constantly. They could never rest even if they wanted to. And so now that these people have been delivered, that they were free as God's people, they were this new society who could actually rest, who didn't have to work. And so they were to spend this day reflecting on their deliverance from slavery. So, so there isn't a, a stopping on this day and just this staring at a wall sort of mentality. They are to not do certain things like work, but to do other things like delight and remember what God has done. So this redemption reason shows us that, that putting down our work for a day, this shows us that, that the idea of putting down our work for a day is actually a sign of revolution. It's a sign of freedom. Because they couldn't not work in Egypt. They had to work. They had to do what the Egyptians said. And they were driven into the ground in their work. So now when they wouldn't work on the Sabbath, that was a de excuse me, declaration of freedom. It was a sign that said, I'm not a thing. I am a person made in the image of God. I'm not a cog in the machine. More than anything, though, the Sabbath was a sign to these people of the covenant that God made with his people through Moses. It was a sign that they were free and that they were God's people. Okay, I am married. Okay, I am married. Yeah, I know it's, 
It's unbelievable to some of you, let alone that Elizabeth Tucker said yes to marrying me. It was awesome, right? On our wedding day, we stood before one another and we made promises to each other. This summer, I get the privilege of being the officiant of Ryan and Christina future Mansfield's wedding, right? It's going to be great. Uh, and Brent and, and Hannah, future Lawrence's wedding. It's going to be a great day. Marriage is, is awesome, right? It's a gift from God. But what's going to happen on that day is these people are going to stand before one another and before a crowd, just like me and Liz did as well, and they're going to make all these vows and all these promises to one another. And they're going to symbolize their covenant of marriage through a wedding ring. They're going to put a ring on one another's finger that they're going to wear on their finger the rest of their lives, and this ring is going to be a symbol to everybody else in the world that I am taken, that I belong to somebody else, that I am not my own, I am someone else's person. But that's what this wedding ring symbolizes. So in a marriage commitment, yes, it's just a ring in some ways, but it's not something we want to just go missing for months and months of our lives, because in our culture, this is a really important symbol of a really deep reality that I am not my own, I belong to somebody else. So, so from this point forward, the Sabbath is like a wedding ring. It's a sign that these people are God's people and that they are free people. They were God's people and they had been delivered from Egypt. So we see here that this, what the Sabbath was. It was a, a day to delight. It was a day to remember. It was a sign of God's deliverance of his people and who they actually belonged to. And yes, the rules they had to follow were massive and extensive. So does this mean that we should be keeping this command in this way? Should, should I start saying to you right now, hey, Friday at sundown to Saturday on sundown, you better be Sabbathing or else you're in sin or something. Was well, that what I'm saying? If I don't cease from my work, am I in sin? Well, that's why we have the second thing I need to talk about, and that's what we must never forget, and that's what Jesus has done for us. And, and there's a lot we could, be, we could be saying about this, but this is how Jesus changed the Sabbath this will be on the screen for you so you don't have to flip there, but Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says all of these things, like what you eat and you drink, going to different festivals, and even a Sabbath are just a shadow of something way more significant. They're a shadow of the, the greater reality. Like in the same way, I have a, a shadow right here, and just like you have a shadow when light is being cast upon you or something, it would be flat out ridiculous if you walked up to my shadow right now and tried to talk to my shadow or tried to hug my shadow or like feed my shadow some food or something, right? That would be, just be odd and weird and, and we would want to seek help for you or something, right? Like, you don't do that. Why? Because a shadow is actually pointing to me. It's pointing to something more significant, more real than what's being represented right there. And so a passage like this in Colossians is saying the Sabbath is a shadow of something more significant. It's actually pointing to Christ. It says the substance belongs to Christ. This is really pointing to him. 
So you see, what was happening in the context that Paul's writing in is that there was all these people who were Jews who were following Jesus, but they were still Jews. And so they were still following the Sabbath laws, and that was fine. But then there was all these other people who weren't Jews who were converting to following Jesus. And all these Jewish Christians were saying, hey, if you're really going to be a legitimate Christian, you need to be upholding the Sabbath just like I do. Right? Like, like really jacked up kind of stuff to people. Building upon the gospel saying you have to do these things as well. And he's, he's coming to these people and he's saying it doesn't really matter as much what you eat. It doesn't matter if you go to these festivals or even how faithfully you keep the Sabbath. Because all these things are pointing to a greater reality. They're pointing to Jesus. That's why he says let no one pass judgment on you. So you might be sitting here saying, well, sweet, Josh, this is awesome. This is my verse You're saying the Sabbath is fulfilled, and so now I can just kind of scratch it off the to-do list. I can just work, 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 stay busy, 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 busy. You know, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, so I can just get more work done. I only have to remember nine commandments out of ten, and that was a lot to remember anyway, so this is sweet. Thank you so much. Well, no, you'd, you'd be missing the point. You'd be missing the point. Do you remember when Jesus came along? And he preached that famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came along in, in a passage like that, and he basically points out how all these commandments go way deeper than you and I ever imagined. So he lists some of them, and he says, you know, you've heard it said, like, don't commit murder, but I say, do not hate anyone. Or do not commit adultery, and I say, do not lust, right? He's always going after something deeper, something more profound. And so a law to keep the Sabbath is actually after something way more significant, after something way more profound and deep and significant than its structural way that you would uphold it. I, mean, I could put it to you this way. I mean, having four kids in my house, as you could imagine, I have to deal with conflict, okay? And there are so many days where I feel like an arbitration judge or something, where just case after case after case I'm managing this conflict, okay? Well, there is one definite no-no in our house. There's actually a few, but one of them for sure is that we no physical violence is allowed. It's like a house rule, right? So I could say this as a house rule. I could say, I declare in our house that there would be no more wooden swords or lightsabers. I could say that. Because if there are no swords or, or lightsabers, that means they can't hit each other with them. And so you could say, if we, as long as we have no swords or lightsabers in our house, then that is a sign of peace, okay? You could also say, I'd be a terrible father to my boys, okay? But at the same time, we could say that would be a sign of peace. I could do that, all right? Or I could maybe go a little bit more general or, or a little bit deeper, I guess you could say, and I could declare in our house that you cannot hit another person, which is, which is a house rule, Right? I could, I could say that, and we could stick to that, but is that really what I'm after? I mean, do I really just not want my kids to hit each other? If my kids don't hit each other, have I succeeded in my vision of parenting my kids? Well, no, of course not. I mean, those aren't bad things to make as rules. It, maybe the sword one would be, but, but those aren't sufficient things. Those aren't sufficient rules. I'm after something much more profound. What I'm after as a parent is love. 
I want my kids to love each other. And when they're hitting one another with objects or fists, that is not a sign that love is stirring in their hearts for the other person. If I were to make a rule which we have like that, I'm actually after something much more profound. So you can think of it this way, Jesus obeyed the Sabbath perfectly so that you and I could enter into the valuable, good, deep rest of God and practice the experience of that rest in a much greater way. Or the point is not so that you don't have to rest anymore, but so that you could be free to rest in a much more significant way. I mean, in the Old Testament, God told his people to tithe, to, to give 20-some percent to the things of God, okay? So when Jesus comes, he doesn't say, hey, you just spend your money however you want it now. But you don't have to uphold to some really strict Jewish tithe anymore. But our new example, Jesus going deeper, he's saying, look at how generous I've been to you. I laid my life down for you. I want you to have a generous heart. I'm after that. Right? He doesn't come to you now and say, hey, I fulfilled the law, so you can just go and kill people now. No, he, he doesn't say you don't need to not kill people. He says, I'm raising the bar, actually. I want to rid your heart of hate. He doesn't just say you don't need to, you can sleep with whoever you want now outside of marriage. He comes to us and he says, no, I want to rid your heart of all lustful desire. He says, he doesn't come to us and say, you don't need to uphold a sundown to sundown Sabbath anymore. He's coming and he's saying, I want to bring you into a much more profound state of rest. Friends, if you are not building rest into your life, you are missing out on the creator's good design. You need rest. You get to rest. And you may even believe the opposite of that, but I'm telling you, your heart is just pumping for it. So, so what could Sabbath look like for us then today? What could it look like for us then today? Should we hold to a strict six-day week and, and seventh-day Sabbath? Well, hear me clearly. I do not want to create a new legalism. That is for sure. We're not building on the gospel here, and we shouldn't do that. But, but there is a real need for us because of how this is tied to creation to take a regular, rhythmic pattern of rest into our lives because it's grounded in creation. It is. So, so if, you, if we can just take judgment off the table, which is what Colossians says, and at least believe for a moment that we all need rest, we need consistent, regular, rhythmic rest, sort of 24-hour chunks of time to rest, then what could this look like for us? Well, I think we can actually gather three general guidelines for what this could look like for us based upon this command to Sabbath that we've already read. First is that we could put down our work. Secondly, we could delight in the good gifts of God. And thirdly, we could remember the gospel. So first, this is a guideline for how we could practice the concept of Sabbath, to go into something deeper of what Christ has come and fulfilled for us. And that is to put down your work and remember that you're not God. What it looks like for us to Sabbath is to put down our work and to remember that we are not 
God. See, there is a prevalent word, rather a name, that runs throughout this extensive command to Sabbath. And it's the name Lord. It's the name Yahweh. You see it repetitively. It's a declaration of God as not only creator, but as God as a ruler, as a king, right? Names mean something. And as people, we all carry different names with us that communicate different things. So on Thursday, I get a text from my wife because she is shopping at Kohl's with Kohl's, I can't say it, Kohl's with Isla and Gus. And I get a text because for five minutes of her time shopping, Gus got lost. Okay, he's three. And you've all been there once, right? Where you thought you were forever abandoned by your parents, okay? So I'm getting this text, my heart's melting. You know, I, you know she's telling me about how she couldn't find him and then she kind of hears his voice and these two ladies were gonna walk him to customer service or whatever and they're asking him what his name is and he, they think his name's Jesse because he says Gussie and he can't really talk very well and his eyes are welling up with tears and all this stuff. It was just a horrific, tragic moment where I'm sure this will be the first memory of his life, okay? I would have done the same thing. But my wife, who is a great, great mother, happy Mother's Day, Liz, your incredible mother, gets in the car with him. She says, hey, buddy, all right, let's talk this through. What do we do when this happens again? Sorry, not when. Although with Gus, probably when. Okay, (laughs) when this happens again. And she says, "You, you need to say your name, right? And you need to say you're lost. And you need to tell them who your mommy is. And she goes, Gus what's mommy's name? And he goes, mommy. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, no. What is my other name? And she, he goes, babe. <laughs> and we're like, okay, uh, we need to work on this. All right. Uh, so we have some more work to do. Um, but they only hear, our kids, they only hear and think of Liz as mommy or understand her as babe, my wife, okay? Now you know what I call my wife, right? Generic, not cool, I know, whatever. They don't know her as Liz. But not knowing her as Liz is very important because they miss out on an aspect of her that is critical for their life. In the same way, many of us understand God and we view God as Father, as creator, as savior, as redeemer, you fill in the blank, right? But if we don't view him as Lord, if we don't understand him as king of our lives and king of this world, then we miss out on a major aspect on the nature of God. And I know if I asked you tonight, do you have a hard time believing that you're not God? We all would likely reply, oh, not at all, I know I'm not God. We'd all probably say that, but look at our lives. Look at our actions. If we can't put our work down, if we can't stop, maybe there is a disconnect between what we say and what we think and what we actually believe. See, putting down our work is a sign that we actually believe we're not God and that when we cease from our work, he continues in his. 
See, in the Bible, to believe something, to have faith in something, manifests itself in faithfulness. Belief and faith manifest themselves in action. This will be on the screen. Um, there's a philosopher, he's a political philosopher, ambassador to the UN for the Human Rights Commission. His name is Michael Novak. Okay? He's a believer, he's a Christian, and he wrote a book called Belief and Unbelief. And within it, he talks about three kinds of faith that we have in our daily life. He talks about the first level is this idea of public convictions. It's stuff that you say you believe to other people. It's how we kind of manage other people's perceptions about us, right? What do I want you to believe about me? I'm gonna say I believe that, okay? But then we have private convictions. And those are the things that we think we believe. Like, for example, I could think I'm a really generous person. But then when it comes time for me to be really generous with somebody, when I have to actually put you know, the money where my mouth is, so to speak, I can kind of begin to feel stingy and I realize I have a false perception of what I actually believe. Maybe I'm not as generous as I think I am. But then thirdly, and this is really where, where our beliefs come out, and these are our core convictions. We never deviate from our core convictions. So if you want to know what I believe, essentially then, watch my life. Look at the choices that I make. If you want to know what you believe, study your behavior. But what we say we believe and what we think we believe isn't necessarily what we believe. And so we show by taking a day of rest that we really do believe that God is God and that we are not. And if you feel you are unable to do this, then in some real way, we have a perspective of ourselves where we have elevated ourselves potentially to the place of God, where it all rests upon me. And so, very practically, if you're wondering what work is for you then, this is the, the way to do this. Just ask yourself, if you're going, what does it mean to put my work down? Ask yourself, what is your work? What do you see as your work? We live in a collegiate town. So, for many of us, we work with our mind. So this might mean to not work, to, to pick up a, a shovel or something, to get our hands dirty or to go and play in, in creation or something, right? To, to rest our mind or maybe you work with your hands. This would literally look like putting your work down, taking a break physically. I mean, if, if you're a father, I'm just gonna be, put this on the table, you can't take a work, take a break from parenting, okay? If you're a stay-at-home mom, you can't, Stop parenting. You can't do that. But, but you could not do laundry for a day. You could not clean for a day or keep up with the house for a day or pay your bills for a day or run errands for a day, but you could just delight in your, in your kids. The second thing we could do, and I'll be brief on this one, is we see here, based on this being rooted in creation, that a day of rest for us could look like a day of just enjoying things and feasting and delighting in the good gifts that God has given to you. But very practically, this isn't a day to see as a boring day, to just sit there and to kind of stare at the wall, so to speak. This should be a day of delight for you. Spending time with your family or your friends or with people that you love or enjoy, feasting together, playing together, laughing together. This is a day where your heart should be prostrated with gratitude for the work and the gifts that God has given you. 
posture it with, with gratefulness. Because remember, rest in creation is enjoying and being satisfied with the work and the things that God has done and is giving to you. So to be very practical, what does this mean for you? Well, it means doing things that you want to do, not doing things that you feel like you just should do. I'm not talking about rebelling against God on this day and just indulging in whatever sin you want to. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about asking yourself, what do, what do you enjoy that, that would posture your heart with gratitude towards God for the good gifts that he's given you in his creation? Do that. Don't, don't just sit there and go, well, I should do this or I should do that or I need to do this or I need to do that. Just say, what do I want to do? What would posture my heart with this gratitude for all that God has done and created and given me? Does it create gratitude towards God? Thirdly, though, and this is clearly grounded in Deuteronomy 5, we, we should remember the gospel. We should remember who we are in Christ. An observant man once said regarding why we can't slow down and stop and work and rest, he said this, quote, we can't stop. If we stop, we'll die. We're terrified. We're frightened to death of what we will see inside ourselves if we slow down. Well, what's the thing inside of ourselves? Well, for many of us, for maybe most of us, it's shame. It's shame. Shame is the painful feeling, this experience that we are fundamentally flawed, that there's something wrong with us, that we're defective, that we're unworthy in some way. So we work and we work and we work and we stay busy, busy, busy. We keep the noise level loud so that when it gets, it won't get quiet because when it gets quiet, that's when you start hearing those voices. That's when the shame comes in. It's, it's really important to, to distinguish between guilt and shame because guilt is something that you do. Shame is more about who you are, the sense of who you are. So we keep busy so that we can quiet the voices in our lives that say things like, I'm never good enough. I'm never safe enough. I'm never perfect enough. I'm never extraordinary enough. I'm never successful enough. See, the Jews were called to remember that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, okay? That, that he had redeemed them, that he had liberated them and was leading them into a land, a promised land of rest. And he liberated them by leading them out of Egypt. And then what happened? They came to a sea and they were doomed. They stared at the sea and they're like, we can't get across this sea. I guess we're gonna be recaptured. We're gonna go back to life as normal in slavery, Yet God, as Deuteronomy says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, what did he do? He parted the sea, and these people walked across on dry gr uh, ground. And once they'd reached the other side, the water came crashing in behind them and brought a final end to their enemies so that they could not enslave them any longer. They were free. And they were called to remember that, that God destroyed their enemies. And see, we are called to remember as well, but, but we have a much more profound redemption to remember. 
a much more profound place of rest to enter into. And that place of rest is not found in a promised land, but it's found in a person named Jesus. Jesus, who came and rescued us from our slavery to sin. He rescued us from our shame. He came and he lived a perfect life. He kept the Sabbath perfectly and everything in between. And yet he still went to a cross and died, not because of his own shame, but because of our shame. And he died on that cross and the people who believed in Jesus, who followed him in their life, watched him die. And Saturday came and they probably stood there thinking just like those Israelites did when they came across that sea, that we're going to have to go back to life as normal. That we're going to go back into this same slavery as usual, but then something greater than a sea parting happened. Because Sunday morning came, and a tombstone was rolled away, and it was empty, and Jesus had risen from the grave. And when he rose from the dead, all who now put their faith in him. When you do that, you have your enemies of sin and death and shame washed out behind you just like the Egyptians did with that Red Sea. See, we have a much more profound thing to spend time remembering on a day that we would actually rest. We don't have just liberation from slavery, like physical slavery. We have liberation, an eternal liberation purchased for us through Jesus. See, he bore our shame. He bore our shame so that on a day of rest, you could actually remember when you hear those voices of you're getting behind, you're losing, you're not good enough, you're not who you should be, keep going, don't put down your work. You can hear those voices and you can take time and you could remember the gospel and you could remember, you know what? I am not my own. I am God's. I am His. See, Sabbath was a day for Israel to remember that they were God's and He had redeemed them. Sabbath for us is a day to remember whose we are. We are a child of God. A Sabbath day should be a day that we let just wash over us as we remember the gospel. That will silence those voices of shame. I've told this to some of you, but I grew up in Montana, which if you've never been there, it's beautiful. The air is fantastic. It is clean. It is awesome. I went to college in Riverside, California, the Inland Empire, okay? I showed up. I have never seen smog like that in my entire life. It was disgusting, especially coming from a place like Montana, okay? And I've told the story to some of you, but it's still worth telling. I'll never forget when December rolled around. I had already been there for months. And all these months, I thought I lived in a desert. I literally thought we just lived at like sea level or something. But what happened in December? The Santa Ana winds started blowing. The rains started coming. And guess what? It pushed out all that smog. And do you know what was there all along? 9,000 foot peaks called the San Bernardino Mountains. Yeah, disgusting, right? I literally had never seen them. I didn't even know they were there. I didn't know they existed. I'm not lying to you. I, smog that thick, I mean, is messed up. 
Okay? So gross. All right? But let me just say this. If the entire Inland Empire decided to Sabbath for a day, for a hundred years, from just not putting more carbon emissions or whatever's polluting the air up in there, let's just say they took a Sabbath from all that kind of stuff. That definitely wouldn't hurt, right? That definitely wouldn't be worse, would it? Right? That'd be, that'd be fine. That'd be, that'd be good. That'd be a good thing to do. In the same way, if you view the concept of Sabbath as simply a day off to get your bearings or something, it'd be like the entire Inland Empire just not putting more carbon emissions into the air or something. See, what we all need, what we all need is we need something like the Santa Ana winds. We need something like rain to come and to actually push the smog out of there. The smog can't leave unless something blows. The smog can't leave unless something rains down on them. And when you take time to remember what God has done for you, that is the only thing that will ever push the smog of your shame out of your going crazy mind. That's the only thing that will ever push it out. See, we live in a society that marches to the beat of a 24-7 life. We, we will bob to that beat. We, we will always bob to that beat because that is the beat that fills the room of our lives. We will, we will do that unless we fight about being intentional and even planning for it. It won't naturally happen. In fact, you will feel like you are in a war and that you are losing. Do you see? You were made to rest. You were made to rest. The world was designed that we would put our work down and rest. The world bobs to a beat of 24-7, and so not only will your life be dramatically different if you can learn to rest in this type of way, but the world will actually notice that you're different because you're not marching to the same beat. You see, Sabbath is, is not only good for your soul, it is, a, is it a witness to the greatness and the goodness of God as the designer of life. And so hear me clearly, tonight is not a call to legalism. Tonight is an invitation to rest. It is a gift from God. We are saved by works, not our works, but the works of Jesus. Therefore, you can stop working. You can stop trying to prove yourself. You can have the voices silenced and not be filled with the shame any longer. So, so please hear the voice of Jesus tonight to, to go to him regularly and rhythmically and find rest for your soul. God, I, I do pray that